0: The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to The Hennessy Report. I'm Dave Hennessy. Our guest for this episode is Melanie Foley, the Chief Talent Officer at Liberty Mutual Insurance. Melanie shares her personal story and how she grew up in the sales department at Liberty Mutual before taking over the reins of HR for this 50,000-person insurance powerhouse. Melanie describes on the podcast how she and her team transformed the HR group. And then later, she discusses how they created a nine-part video training series for diversity and inclusion. This had a big impact on Liberty Mutual and it has received some recognition outside of their organization as well. She goes into some detail about what's included in that video training series. It's quite interesting. Up next on the podcast is Tiffany Mosier, the Chief People Officer at DataZoo. And now I bring you my discussion with Melanie Foley. Melody, welcome to the Hennessy Report.
1: Well, thanks for having me, Dave.
0: This is an exciting day here in Boston, as we're right now at this very hour, in fact, outside of your Liberty Mutual headquarters, is the Patriots parade celebrating their sixth Super Bowl victory. And I think it's starting right now, going right by. I saw, in fact, coming in today, we saw many of your employees probably just taking an early lunch uh (laughs) getting out there for an 11 to 12 o'clock lunch to watch the parade go by
1: yes i'm sure there's a complete work stoppage right now here at (laughs) liberty mutual and uh, i did notice that the dress code today got even more casual (laughs) as everybody was wearing their patriots jerseys today but that's that's awesome we're very excited
0: about that yeah very exciting well let's talk about you a little bit now before we talk about hr and liberty mutual can you tell us a little bit about your background, early life experience that set you on uh, your career path?
1: Um, sure, so I'm a Boston native. I grew up here in the city. Um, my mom was a single mother. And as a young child, I had to, one, step up and take um, additional responsibilities to help look after my younger brother. But I watched my mother work uh, very hard to put herself through school. Um, she became a nurse uh, going, you know, to school at nights and pulling us out of uh, low-income housing, et cetera, and the, the lessons that I learned from my mom or what she inculcated in me was education, hard work, and, and personal grit and, and resilience. And I think, you know, that, that's just kind of like the foundation of, of who I am. After going to school, locally from marketing and and general management, um, I started my career at Liberty Mutual as a B2B sales rep. And I was responsible for the New England territory, building relationships with companies or associations where we could access their membership um, to be able to sell them personal insurance products. Mm -hmm. And from that point, for 15 years, I grew within our personal insurance division, increasing responsibilities. Managing, you know, from that individual contributor role, I started to manage a couple of people. And then it was six people and more responsibility, bigger uh, scope, budget, complexity. After 15 and years... And why were they
0: putting more and more people reporting to you? What was going on that uh, that was happening?
1: Uh, I was I was getting things done. And <laughs> the way that I went about it was uh, aligned with the values of the company, right? So I, um, you know, I I'd, I'd share... The values that Liberty Mutual holds true, which is dignity and respect, integrity, putting people first, being open, um, and making things better, acting responsibly—all of those things that are so special to our, you know our culture at Liberty Mutual—were mm-hmm. things that resonated with me. So that great alignment and just getting things done, um, you know, demonstrating results, mm-hmm. uh, I was able to continue to get increased responsibilities. By after fifteen year run in just dis- sales and marketing distribution, I was managing six thousand person organization all U.S. personal insurance distribution. Um, and then, I was given the opportunity at the end of two thousand eleven to consider a career change in the same company.
0: Mm. Into human resources.
1: Into human resources. And
0: how did that come about? Why why were you identified, or did you pursue it? Can you talk a little bit about?
1: Yeah, sure. That, how that came about? When the CEO was looking for somebody to fill this position, the my predecessor had been in the role for 20 years. And she'd also been with Liberty for 40 years. We have a lot of tenure in this company. Right. He was looking for for someone with more of a business background, more business acumen to come in and you know, make some changes to the way that HR operated in in the company, more business minded. So a different I
0: perspective was, he was looking for, yeah.
1: Yeah, different perspective to elevate the strategic importance of the function. And, and he was a new CEO, so he was also looking for um, transformative changes. And mm. I had demonstrated that in my prior role uh, on some of the initiatives that I had worked on in the ability to transform um, our operations. So... You know, I think it was it was our talent management practices which surfaced me up as a potential candidate, a successor for this role. Uh, my track record, um, you know, being able to achieve results and the reputation that I had in the company as a, a trusted leader.
0: Mm. That's great. Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit about the values of Liberty Mutual, you just shared some, maybe you can talk a little bit about how they're evolving, the culture and the values. Sure. And the vision for the future.
1: Sure, yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, we're, over a hundred years in existence at this company so we have uh, we're steeped in tradition and uh, have a lot of history so there are some things that are have been harder to change than others and some things that we didn't want to change at all because they've been um, key to our success which differentiated us The you know what the tried and true aspects of our culture are that we are uh, you know high integrity um, treating people with dignity and respect are table stakes, timeless values and principles of this company. Uh, some of the things that have we've been working to improve on are things like flexibility. Um, you know, for, for example, when I came into this role as a business leader, I had always known that work-life balance was something that we scored very poorly on uh, from our employee opinion survey results and that our employees didn't feel like there was much balance. So we took that data, you know, take a data-driven approach from the way I was used to working as a sales leader, and built, you know, convinced the leadership of the company that we needed to really do something—a targeted intervention on this aspect of our culture of inflexibility or, um, you know, not letting people have that balance between their their personal and work lives, and we were able to make significant changes to mindsets to policies and to the you know the, the support systems that we have at Liberty Mutual to make this a more flexible environment when i you know i remember i don't know if it's urban legend or not but the prior ceo at liberty mutual um, you know, is, is rumored to have said, yeah, we have two days a week that are casual or flexible Saturdays and Sundays. <laughs> and when I came into the role, I thought, come all right, maybe I'll take on this, you know, flexible work arrangements or, or flexible dress code. And, you know, it was. So it there was, was
0: some truth to it. It sounds like whether it was said or not. Uh, but at it, that time it, there, there really was, was. It, mean, was we, formal, it was a working formal work, work your full hours, be in the office or with clients. Right. Yep.
1: Yes, it was more about being seen than the quality of your output. You know, mm-hmm. time on task mm-hmm. uh, versus the quality of output. It was, um, you know, people were measured by how many hours a day that they spent in the office versus mm-hmm. how well they were getting their job done. Um, but by showing that research, the external benchmarking, our own internal research that we had, to the executive leadership team and quantifying the impact that that had on productivity, employee engagement, turnover, employment brand, et cetera. Right,
0: acquiring talent too, a, right? A, a,
1: a, a acquiring, you know, attracting and retaining talent. Yeah. Uh, it was going to become a, an even greater obstacle that we had to overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went to work and we had a, a flexible work Initiative where we covered dress code, we covered work arrangements, um, we covered benefits that we provided to employees, and you know I would say in the last seven years we've we've made remarkable improvements. And if you've been at Liberty for you know five years or less now, you don't even know what it was like before, um, but you are. highly engaged and satisfied employee and it makes it harder for people to leave that's good uh, because we see that other companies are still not offering all of the flexibility and the benefits that we have to offer
0: are there other transformations that you've embarked on that you'd like to share
1: diversity and inclusion um, is another really powerful journey that we've been on Um, like many companies I, I think Although most of my experiences here at Liberty, but what I hear from my peers is that um, diversity about ten years ago was more like if you had gotten in some kind of trouble you would do a, a you know, diversity program, you know, and it wasn't supported by a business case or it wasn't with the end consumer or the employee engagement in mind. It was really like this is the, the compliance thing to right, do. Right. Um, and so when I came into this role in 2012 there wasn't um, a company initiative or aspiration around diversity inclusion but again pulled out the business case you know put the business case together um, using internal and external data to say that this was good for business that we would get better business results as a as a result of being more diverse and inclusive it would generate um, more innovation, different thinking, different p- people with different backgrounds, it would create better employee engagement, so we'd have higher productivity, all of those, you know, reasons to, to do it, besides it's just a good thing to do, it helped us get to a place where we were willing to make significant investments. So we did, we created a diversity and inclusion office a little over five years ago. Um, we, again, we've seen significant improvements in our employee opinion survey results, in our results from external surveys or benchmarks. We've gotten lots of recognition for the work that we've done in this space, and we know that it's helping us to attract and retain employees um, because of the work that we've been doing. Mm -hmm. And every every leader, every person, including the CEO, is involved in doing work uh, um, on themselves as part of this journey. Um, so we, you know, we've made a significant investment and there's a there's a real commitment to this.
0: Can you talk a little bit about that, the work mm-hmm. that people are doing on their themselves and how you help facilitate that, your department? What kinds of things are they exposed to? or?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so we started four years ago after we got the office up and running with unconscious bias awareness education for everybody in the company globally. So we've... you know, had everybody go through that understanding their biases. Then we took that understanding or awareness into action and we had lots of programming around how to dislodge, disrupt biases and become a more inclusive colleague, employee, leader, manager. So we've um, created programs like guidelines for inclusion. So we've explained to folks, you use these behaviors in your day-to-day activities, interactions, et cetera, and you will become a more inclusive colleague or manager. We provided them not only with, you know, text content-rich resources, but a mini-series that won uh, a Telly Award for this mini-series. The 12-part video series, there are nine guidelines, and then I think we probably had some beginning and end sandwich type videos. Um, We're actually gonna commercialize that because so many people have asked us at conferences, et cetera, for access to it.
0: So you're gonna share that with other companies?
1: We are gonna share that with other companies. That's
0: amazing. Yeah. And can you give us a flavor of what's in there that really resonated so well, maybe an anecdote that's presented, or why why did it really it's cra- grab attention?
1: It's practical. Okay. Um, some you- of my most senior leaders who may be uh, more mature, more seasoned, successful by doing things, a certain way their whole career now we're telling them you need to change your leadership styles you need to change your behaviors because the new uh, work the workforce coming coming in now it has different expectations communication inclusiveness etc they're they're a little you know uneasy about all of this but we ask everybody for a commitment to go through these programs and I had one Typical senior executive say to me unsolicited, "That was awesome. It was so practical." That you know, you take a real life situation that goes on every day in your offices. It could be.
0: Yeah, I love an example. If you can um, give us one that comes out of it, if you have one um, that's in their training.
1: So one of our gu- guidelines is be trustworthy, and the 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 vignette is about a few colleagues, and, where one of them is a man, and someone in the office finds out that he's getting married. And that person, another colleague in the break room, finds out about it, so excited for their colleague, but the colleague is a little bit taken back by the fact that this is um, kind of out there, if you will, and he's not comfortable with it. But this person, the the colleague is so happy for him. Uh, She goes off and tells everybody, and then they have like a little party. And so the person feels, the person who has something to share feels like, you know, his trust has been broken, he didn't get to communicate the message himself, and now he can maybe no longer, you know, trust this colleague. And then, you know, kind of goes off and tells you a little bit about how your intent and impact you you need to be aware of you good intentions celebrating this wonderful life event of your colleague, right. but you've gone and outed them to the rest of the team when maybe they didn't want to, and now you're not considered as a trustworthy employee. And it's little vignettes like that that make it real. Sure. And it's, it's it's not consultant speak. Right. Um, it's not esoteric. There it are real like,
0: situations that happen right. in companies yep. all across and, the world. Yeah.
1: You know, and so there's an include there's a diversity and inclusion specificity to that example um but it's it's not always about you know something that has to do with um diversity per se right mm-hmm. it could be um people in a group that get together often some people don't talk at all but others always dominate the conversation mm-hmm. there's a guideline that helps you to see how maybe you need to take a step back and solicit other people's input in those meetings so that they're not domineered by one person all the ideas come from one person and one person gets all the credit and it, it, it invites you or it makes you aware of other people's styles and preferences and how they may be overshadowed by yours and vice versa maybe you're the one that never speaks up in a meeting mm-hmm. and so we're trying to help those people understand you also have a responsibility to step up
0: so that's all part of these so people go in thinking they're going to be Maybe early on they were thinking mm. the training was one thing, and they realized it's quite broad—the it, things that you touch and.
1: It's been recognized as a very important resource and tool, and support to managers, and not just a check the box. I did this training. Mm. Um, there are resources available for managers for to ongoing, uh, provide have ongoing conversations and dialogue with their employees. Mm. I just had one on Monday with my team on be trustworthy. Mm. We spend fifteen minutes just talking about how well we're doing and ex- specific examples where we think we did really well or we did we think we didn't do well. And mm. then you know, next week we'll pick a different guideline and you, you can just go on and on for with this right. forever. Because and so that just
0: gives everybody tools yeah. to have these conversations. Yeah. So how did it come how did you come to the decision that we're gonna allow other organizations? To use this, and when's that going to happen? We have a lot of people listening right now, Melanie. That yeah. probably want to get their hands on that. Having yeah. you just I'm give not, a, a five-minute overview, when is this going to happen? And uh, well, I'll tell you how, how it happened.
1: It, but let me just quick cut to the to the chase so that, that I don't mislead you at all. When I say commercialization, it means we're going to we're going to charge you for it. Okay. <laughs> yes. So, okay. Yes. but what happened was one of our um, vice presidents in the DNI space was at a conference, and was asked to share and so they shared a little bit about this and then the line uh, to speak to them after was so long and he came back and and was a little bit unsure of how I was gonna react because old-school Liberty we keep all our secrets really close to the vest and Mm -hmm. we don't want people to know what we're doing to copy us and I think he he assumed that that's how I was gonna respond and I said look I want the world to become a better place. I want. I know that not all of our employees are gonna stay with Liberty, they're gonna go somewhere else. I want them to have a great experience even if they do leave mm-hmm. Liberty. So to the extent that this is really powerful stuff that can help other companies provide a better environment for their employees, let's do it.
0: Tell us about the structure of your HR group. How have you taken your line, business line leadership skills and, um, influenced how you do HR here at Liberty Mutual, the structure, the departments, the the roles, a little bit about what you do in HR.
1: Sure. Yeah. When I came into this field um, and this specific organization at Liberty Mutual seven years ago, we were structured like uh, probably the majority of HR organizations in a big, complex company like ours. So, there was a corporate center, which did most of like payroll benefits, compensation, LD, and then the generalists and ER and all of that was distributed throughout the business units. The company has gone through a lot of organizational transformations as customer needs have changed, as the business environment has changed, and and we may HR always has to help through those organizational changes. So we kind of stayed static for a while while the rest of the company was changing, but in 2015 we, you know, had been aware of other companies' HR transformations and we also had, again, data about how our internal customers were feeling about the way that we delivered HR services, that we knew it was time for us to make a change to the way that we were structured and the way that we were delivering service. because we knew we we had issues with inconsistent service delivery, inefficient service delivery, and not as satisfied internal stakeholders as we could have had. We also knew that there was a lack of clarity among our professionals within the HR organization in terms of um, career progression and just role clarity, etc. So, well, we worked with our internal consulting group at Liberty Mutual and um other resources outside of liberty that specialize in hr to come up with a, a, a plan and we piloted this new hr operating model uh, before we rolled out but we took parts of the business where we said we're going to face off with the business in a different way we're going to centralize all of the tasks that should be centralized because that we will be more consistent more effective and more efficient by doing that and we will upskill the senior HR professionals so that they can be more strategic consultants to the business. So we piloted that for several months. Uh, We had the business very involved in not only the structure but in providing us with feedback so that we could modify as necessary and then we ultimately rolled out this new structure. So the way that we're organized is we have very senior talent advisors who are aligned to very senior business leaders in the organization and they basically sit on those management leadership teams as a strategic advisor to the leadership group they are responsible for the you know high level talent strategies for that organization as well as team effectiveness and um, other outcomes that you would expect a you know senior hr professional to have but the execution of annual cycles, of programs, et cetera, we have pooled what we call the talent delivery team. And so everyone that was a generalist is now part of a pooled team where they get assigned different projects based on an intake methodology. And so these folks are getting experience with all different parts of the business and all different um, aspects of HR service delivery. Um, and then we have centralized employee relations. Um, What this has done is give us tremendous information about what's actually going on, where we have policies, procedures, processes that need to be refined, because now it's gonna be data-driven and we'll be able to uh, put the case together that we need to make specific changes. Uh, We're getting things done more consistently, faster, and cheaper. Mm. Um, So it's been about two years since we've embarked on this journey a little over a year that we've been completely rolled out. Um, you know, there's been disruption, but by and large, it's been successful.
0: You might hear some sirens and helicopters where the Tom Brady, Gronkowski, Belichick and the gang are rolling right by Liberty Mutual's headquarters right now. And this is the time in the podcast where we have the NERA YP question of the podcast. And I'm going to have Sarah Dumont. Thank you, Dave. The goal of NERA YP is to create educational
1: and networking opportunities for young professionals. We're led by Scarlett Abraham, who's a board member of NIRA along with Dave. And she's also the Senior Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Bright Horizons and is our Episode 19 podcast guest. Um, So remember that if you ever have a question that you want to be
0: featured on the podcast, you can email it to thr at keystonepartners.com. And today's question for you, Melanie, is from Catherine Cavanaugh and she was just hired by your team. She's going to be an incoming HR development program associate. Her question is, when you achieve a
1: goal, how do you empower employees to continue to innovate and avoid complacency? Thank you, Sarah, and thank you, Catherine, for that question. Um, So I think I mentioned earlier about a little bit about our culture, and we're very action-oriented, and part of that is that we're goal-oriented as well. And so we set out to achieve something based on a gap that we that we feel that we have to our desired future state, and we build plans around that. And so we you know encourage everybody to help us close those gaps. Once we um, decide that that's what we're going to do, we have measure, monitoring and measurement plans in place. Uh, we, you know we track our progress and then we celebrate our successes. But there's there's never a lack of goals and a never lack of a desire to be top tier and we know that the the goal line moves often too you know not, nothing in today's world stays status quo or you know isn't ever changing and so we have recognition programs we have set incentives we have uh, you know, lots of mechanisms to make sure that folks are always aware of what the goals are and how we're doing to those and then what the new ones are as we um, decide that you know, something else has become a gap for us.
0: Melody, we have some uh, fun questions here to wrap up the podcast. And this is if you could give advice to your younger self, if you could write a letter to Melanie at 30 years old, what would you write in that letter?
1: Mm. So... I've been asked this question before, and I change it every time, or add to it every time. So I think I have three things to say to my younger self now. Um, the first one is be present. Uh, at at that age, you know, there's so much being thrown at you. You're you know probably going through life changes. You're trying to figure out you know what the next ten years is going to look like. You're trying to advance in your career maybe or decide whether you go to business school or whatever just don't forget to be present in what you are doing because you might miss rich things that you know you won't be able to deal with later on in life so um, be be present take it all in it's a, a little bit of mindfulness i think it will just help you be less um, stressed as well um, be resilient i think this is something that's been, you know, a key to my success. Is kind of you know, roll with it, roll with the punches. Uh, don't don't let um, adversity or failures set you back on your heels. Don't lose any time over, you know, challenges or failures. Just get back up and and go forward. You have to, um, and it's your responsibility. Don't put it on your employer or anybody else. Just. Um, you know, just just go forward. And the third thing that I had was to take risk. And it took me a long time in my career to, to take risk. I was probably closer to 40. And it was um, the best thing that I had ever done was take a career risk. Um, and before that, I had been really taking the, the safe path. And, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm, I necessarily missed out on much, but um, maybe things could have been even more uh, fulfilling and rewarding if I had been willing to take a little bit more risk.
0: Great. And here's the last question of our podcast. What's the best performance, play, musical, sporting event that you've ever attended?
1: Hmm. So two years ago, I was um, lucky enough to be at the Super Bowl in oh. Houston when the Patriots played Atlanta. And while for um, Four fifths of the game. It seemed to be the worst event that I have ever been to. The last few minutes, including the overtime, were unbelievable. Oh and, my uh, god! I'm so, so super grateful that I was able to be there to witness that, you know, history in the making. Um, and and of course, my home team. And what uh, apropos, because we're sitting here listening to the parade go by <laughs> right now. Uh, yep, yeah, that's I am team.
0: so jealous that you yeah. were at that event. That yeah. is. That's the best sporting event ever. Yes, yeah, I think the uh, The unlikeliness of it was just mm-hmm. crazy. The
1: greatest of all time. Well,
0: so great having you as a guest on the yeah. podcast. Moment.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.